This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Our text today is the Epistle Lesson. You may be seated. Dear Christians, this past week, Lincoln Public Schools began its summer vacation. And it makes me think back to my own days of summer vacation. My parents would leave for work early in the morning, and my two younger brothers and I would stay home alone for the day. My parents were kind. They would let us sleep in after they had left. We would sit down at the table to eat our Pop-Tarts, and there'd be a note there, usually from my mom, that said, Good morning. Have a good day. I'll be home at such and such time. And then underneath that, it would have a list of chores that my brothers and I were supposed to accomplish for the day. Now, the list was never very long. Vacuum the floor, make your bed, clean your room. Maybe once a week we had to mow the yard or pull weeds in the garden. If my brothers and I would start right away, we probably could have had everything done by 10 in the morning. Just a couple hours of work. And then we could have spent the rest of the day just lounging around. But we wouldn't get started right away. After all, we had some daytime TV to watch. Every day we would watch The Price is Right at 10 o'clock. We would go outside to play basketball in the driveway. You had to do that in the morning if you played barefoot before the pavement got too hot. Then there were Legos to put together. By then, probably it was lunchtime, and we'd make grilled cheese sandwiches on high on the stove. The outside burned, the inside still cold. And we might lay on the floor for a while, looking at the ceiling. We'd probably get in a fight or two and wrestle in the living room. Then there were afternoon TV shows to watch. Oh, those good old lazy summer vacation days. But you know the problem, right? As the afternoon rolled on, judgment time was coming. And right quick. The end of the day was drawing near. The time my parent had said they'd be home was getting closer. Mom always came home first, and a little later, Dad. And before they got there, we were supposed to have the list of chores done. And not just haphazardly done, we were supposed to have them done well. And so sometime in the late afternoon, 
my brothers and I would start to fight about who would do what. I was the biggest, so I always won. We'd settle our differences. We'd run around like chickens with our heads cut off, trying to get everything done at the last minute. Shove the toys under the bed, pull up the sheets to make it look like you had made the bed that morning. Throw the dishes in the dishwasher. Run behind the lawnmower. Try to get everything on the list done. We had been lazy. We had procrastinated. And judgment time was coming. Dear Christian, isn't that what Paul says in our epistle lesson? The very first words of it, the end of all things is drawing near. Judgment time is coming. But it's not something as simple as your mom and dad coming home at the end of the day to make sure you got all your chores done. The end that St. Peter is talking about is the return of Jesus. God in our human flesh who had defeated death and the grave, who ascended into heaven as we celebrated this past week, who sits at the right hand of God the Father, who will judge as we just confess the living and the dead. It's this guy, Jesus, who's coming at the end. Oh, and by the way, he told us how we were supposed to act while, we, while he was away. He has expectations on how we spent our time. St. Peter said a few of those things in our epistle lesson. He said, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Use the gifts that you've been given to support each other. Serve one another so that God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. Rejoice in suffering. If we go to the rest of Scripture, we could add much more to that very short summary list. And so what's the conclusion? Jesus is coming back soon. The end is near. You know how you're supposed to act in the meantime. And soon Christ will return. So how have you done? Did you do the things that God desired? Or did you procrastinate? Did you lay around? Did you waste time? It seems like it should be easy to do the things that God has demanded of us, right? A piece of cake. Love one another, be sober-minded, self-controlled. Why should that be a challenge? We know what we ought to do. We've learned it in the Catechism. All Ten Commandments we had to memorize, right? But every morning we get up and it doesn't feel 
like Christ will be returning soon. In fact, it feels like Jesus probably won't be back for a long time. We have plenty of time to worry, plenty of time to do what he's asked. I mean, just reason it, right? 2,000 years have passed since St. Peter wrote our epistle lesson. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Surely there's thousands of years more ahead, right? Is that what Peter said? The end of all things is at hand, coming soon, right quick. We convince ourselves of that lie. that We have plenty of time. Perhaps we even struggle to believe Jesus is returning at all. And so in our day-to-day life, we don't always act with self-control. Instead, we act the way our sinful desires want us to. That means we do what we want when we want, whether it's right or wrong in God's eyes or not. We follow the passions of our sinful heart while ignoring God's word. We sin against the sixth commandment, the fifth commandment, the seventh commandment, the eighth commandment, the fourth commandment, and all the rest. We commit big sins, sure. Maybe we even notice those and feel a little bit bad. We commit little sins, that our hearts have become calloused and fail to notice. And when we sin, we justify it to ourselves. It's okay, don't worry, Christ won't be home for a while. What's it look like? Well, we stare at screens all day, hours and hours and hours. In fact, I read an article just a couple weeks ago that the average kid under the age of 18 spends eight hours a day looking at screens. Doing what? Well, you know, scrolling through Netflix endlessly, trying to decide what sort of rerun you'd like to watch again. Worrying about some person that you've never met that tweeted something you don't like. Correcting what someone else said wrong on Facebook. Watching hours of advertising that corrupts our already sinful and covetous hearts. Trying to figure out what thing to buy from Amazon to place in your garage that's already full to the point where your car won't fit. Is that self-control? Is that sober-mindedness? You're supposed to love too, right? 
How? Perfectly. Do you do that? Do you show love to people who won't love you back? Or only to those whom you're pretty sure will return the favor? Do you return love only to those who love you? Or do you do as Jesus says and love your enemies? Do you love all the neighbors that God has placed into your life? Even the one across the street who leaves the car parked in front of your driveway. The one next door whose tree shades your flower garden. Do you love perfectly? No. And even just a practical way to see that, have you noticed how now when you walk down the street and someone is coming on the same sidewalk, they'll usually cross to the other side rather than even say hello? Christian, you sin. You procrastinate doing what God asks. You fail. You fall. You sin. And every moment, the end of all things is drawing near. Christ will return in power and glory with the trumpet of God, with the angels, and every knee will fall before him. What then? You know, when I was a kid and my parents came home before I had haphazardly finished the simple tasks that they had asked, well, let's just say it this way, things were not good. We'd get grounded. We'd have to scoop horse manure. We were punished. What will happen when Jesus returns. When God confronts us on how we've failed to live as we ought to. It's serious. It's important. So much more so than when we procrastinated as children. That's why we pray in our prayers quite often. Help us to work while it is still day before the night comes when no one can work. Because Christians are supposed to take this seriously, to live like Christians, to be Christians. And so we must repent. Repent today. 
Repent of our failures, our fallings, our sin. We must repent and make a change and acknowledge where we have fallen short and seek to do better in our lives. We must repent of our sin of failing to love, of wasting God's gifts, of not being sober-minded or self-controlled. We must repent. And as we do so, we must also believe in Jesus. Here's why. Christ has forgiven you your sin. Jesus has bled for you, died for you. For your shortcomings, for your apathy, for your laziness, for your sin, for your wickedness. Jesus has died for you. And he's ascended into heaven for you. He sits at the right hand of God the Father for you. Telling God the Father, do not hold their sin against them. My blood has paid the price it deserves. He intercedes for you. He's prepared a place for you. And when he returns, it's not only for your judgment, it's also to take you from this world of sin. To take you to live with him always. He's coming with mercy for you. Ezekiel describes some of that mercy in our Old Testament lesson. These are the things Jesus does for you. He sprinkles you with clean water and you shall be clean from all of your uncleanness. This happens in the waters of baptism. He gives you a new heart and a new spirit within you. He removes your lazy heart of stone from your flesh and gives you a real heart, a beating heart, a Christian heart. He puts his spirit within you and causes you to walk in his statutes and just decrees. He saves you. And he makes you Christian. Your sin has been forgiven by what our resurrected Lord Jesus Christ has done for you. You are completely forgiven. Your debt to God has been paid 100% by the blood of Jesus. And with his spirit within you, you are now free to live the life you're supposed to. You now act like Christians now, knowing that any moment could be the moment of Christ's return. You live as a Christian now, showing love towards God and towards the people he's placed in your life. You're no longer a slave to the possessions of this life. You're no longer a slave to the desires of the flesh or of your life. Because you have an eternal life. 
It's far better than anything here. You are free to be sober-minded and self-controlled. You are free to do what is right and not to do what is sinful. You're free to stop trying to self-justify your sins because Christ has blood justified all of them. And that means you're free to be unafraid to confess those sins and receive absolution. You are a Christian. And with Christ in you, you're free to be a Christian. And that's it, right? When my brothers and I were forgiven for our failures on summer vacation, we liked to have my parents come home at the end of the day. We liked to do what we were supposed to. Sometimes there was even a reward. We weren't terrified of my parents. Because not only did they bring judgment but they often brought mercy and love and compassion. The same is true for God. The end of all things is at hand. But you've been washed in the forgiving waters of baptism. You've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. Christ works through you as you care for the people around you, and as you do what is right. And we look forward, we're eager to see Christ's return, to leave this world, and to enter the world that is to come. And the peace, the joy, and the wonder God has in store for us, forgiven by Jesus. For Christ is risen, he's risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This has been With Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, With Intrepid Hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.